Hello, I'm Josh. And I'm Gabriel. And today on Reading the Gospel, we are reading about the widow of Nain. This is found in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and the great crown went with him. As he grew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and the surrounding country. Well, this is a story of Jesus raising someone from the dead. Have we had this before? No, it seems to be the first encounter of Jesus with death. Okay. So there's this funeral party that he he comes across as as the crowd comes by. What's Jesus doing when he he reaches out and he he touches the beer? So first, uh, Jesus Christ... um, is going from town to town. Mm -hmm. This is during the second Galilean tour. And when he was about to go into this um, little town, practically everyone was part of this funeral procession. Yeah. When he realized that uh, it was a widow and that was her only son. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ resonated with this reality because Jesus himself is the only son of his father. And by the way, there is a Greek word used here, translated the only son. Exactly the same Greek word should be translated the only son in John chapter 3, verse 16. Yeah. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And Jesus Christ touched that uh, uh, support system that was carrying the, the coffin, which, by the way, according to the ceremonial law of Moses was not supposed to be touched yeah or if someone touched it was unclean until the end of the day and uh, people realize that something uh, unusual happens and they pause the ceremony yeah so ceremonial unclean is that the same as sin um uh, no um we have uh, A very interesting verse in the Bible, in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, verse 11. It's easy to memorize, Mm 9-11. And in the same verse, in the first part, says talks about the law of Moses. And in the second part of the same verse, it talks about the law of God. So they broke the law of God. And as a result, they were suffering the consequences, primarily the curses from the law of Moses. Yeah. So we see two laws in the same verse. One was the ceremonial law, uh, was the law um, 
related to the sanctuary service, which, uh, which has so many uh, types and symbols uh, focusing on Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And the second was the moral law of God, which shows that what is good and what is um, right and what is bad, practically what sin is. Yeah. So in, if we apply this knowledge to this situation, uh, Jesus Christ did not commit a sin because that was a ceremonial uncleanness. Mm-hmm. It was not uh, being tainted with the moral concept of sin, that is, a rebellion against God, that is, disobedience to God's will, primarily God's commandments. And this is important to understand, um, that this is not, Jesus is not sinning when he's doing this. He is the fulfillment of the sanctuary, the ceremonial laws. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the lamb that was slain. He is the our great high priest. He um, does everything. And, and so here, Jesus is confronting death. Yes. And uh, the first time we have recorded that he on this earth confronts death in, in his physical form, you know, mm-hmm. in, the, in the human form, um, and, and brings this boy back to life. Mm-hmm. And we've talked in the past about how important um, heritage, uh, lineage, and um, having the name and passing the name down was in Jewish culture. So this would have been a disaster mm-hmm. for a family. A dead end. Yeah. What does this story tell us about God? What I see in this uh, story, if I compare it to other miracles, this woman does not uh, ask for a miracle. Mm -hmm. She doesn't go after Jesus as those two blind men who follow him anywhere, including inside the house in Capernaum. No, she does not initiate this process. It was Jesus' heart which was touched by the human suffering and pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible says Jesus had compassion on this woman and said to her, do not weep. Jesus does not address the dead situation first, but the mother. Yeah. When I think for me, um, this is more evidence that Jesus has the victory. Um, mm-hmm. He he is able to conquer death, mm-hmm. um, and death has no hold on him. So it yeah, gives Jesus, us hope. Yeah, Jesus is not surprised by this situation, right? Yeah. Jesus has a plan. Mm-hmm. Jesus has a strategy to address death. Jesus goes toward this funeral procession. Jesus initiates the miracle. Mm -hmm. Jesus talks to the woman. After that, he touched the beer and uh, talked to the young man. So Jesus Christ has a plan to address death. So what does this passage, how how is it speaking to us today, and what are we going to do about it? When I read this story, what uh, spoke to me was uh, the reaction of people. So the dead man, verse 15, sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Verse 16, and fear seized them all, and they glorified God. This expression is being used in Revelation chapter 14, Mm -hmm. and it's part of the first angel's message 
there are three angels or three messages in Revelation chapter 14. And the first one was flying overhead in the midst of heaven, having an everlasting gospel to proclaim to absolutely every person under the sun. And he said, fear God and give him glory. Yeah. So when I read that, especially in the context of Revelation, so many beasts and so much blood and violence, fear is a little bit like uh, you cringe in your heart, you close into yourself and you move away from this sin. Mm-hmm. Here is very much different. This fear was the deep conviction that God's hand was there. Yeah. They experienced the presence of God. And I like how the fear is connected to, to giving glory to God. The fear is something that happened in the heart and giving glory to God is verbalized, is externalized, um, externalizing that experience. As I read this story, what I see, what, how it's speaking to me today is we shouldn't be afraid to get our hands dirty in serving other people. Mm-hmm. The, the image comes to mind of someone who, who feels that they're too important. The Good Samaritan story uh, that we'll get to eventually where the leaders can't be bothered to stop and help someone um, because they don't want to be ceremonially unclean. Yet here we have Jesus willing to reach out and, and be ceremonially unclean for a day for the good of someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so... I think that comes down to that servant heart and that question, what can I do to serve people more? Getting my hands dirty does not mean sinning. Um, I want to be clear when I say that, but how can I step outside of my comfort zone and, and serve other people to, to better share Jesus with them? Mm-hmm. Or better, not, not even share Jesus with them, just relieve pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, and coming back to my observation, because I focus on the first part, right? Mm-hmm. What stood out? My reaction to that, uh, when I realized, I said, "Lord, help me experience Your presence more often. Yeah, help me have that fear of Yours in my heart. Is not just the fear of doing something wrong, because one day is going to be the day of judgment. Mm-hmm. Is that special?" A reverent experience when you realize that God is present and that uh, made me review a couple of events in my life when I felt that God was absolutely really there he was real I knew that and I was absolutely looking up with my eyes and say Lord thank you glory belongs to you Mm. and I like to connect this idea, give glory to God, yeah. to the last part of the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. Right? We studied um, a couple of episodes back. Uh, the end of the Lord's Prayer says that uh, what belongs to God. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Yeah. So yeah. that is not just a intellectual statement. Yeah. If that comes from the heart mm-hmm. and that is based on experiencing the kingdom of God, your kingdom come, your daily bread, mm-hmm. right? you experience God for God's forgiveness, yeah. right? you experience a relationship with Him as a Father. When you experience that, you automatically, naturally, you give glory to God. Yeah. You know, 
one thing as we're talking about what we've been learning and what we're doing, I, I notice a theme. Um, the response to a lot of these events that would take place, our response revolves around worshiping mm-hmm. and um, serving. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that seems like it comes up time and time again. That and relationship, yeah, and relationship with others. That that these are the keys that we pick up. That's exactly. important to Jesus, and that's what I love about reading these events in order and and seeing um, how we can respond to this. Mm-hmm. Let's have a prayer, Father God. We want to come into your presence mm-hmm. and have experiences with you continually. Amen. And Father, we desire that that fear that draws us close to you does not make us want to run away, but brings us to a a place of worship. We desire hearts that are willing to serve those around us, to be able to minister to them and, and ease the burdens of their life. Amen. Father, I pray that you open our eyes to needs around us every day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.